And welcome to the penultimate episode of Dad Pod Season 3, Beyond Sleeping In. Osher Ginsberg here with Charlie Clawson. Hello. I don't know what things are like at your place, Charlie, but Wolfgang doesn't give two shits about daylight savings. Couldn't care. Yeah, so he just has maintained the original pattern. Yeah, he's like, fuck you guys. Uh, I'm going to bed right now. I don't, yeah, 5.30 p.m. Good night. Yeah. See you in 12 hours, bitches. I'm like, but not. And that's over. Now, Iona seems to have the, we're having the opposite problem with her where she doesn't seem to want to sleep ever. Like uh, we started daycare a few weeks ago and they said to us uh, on, on Wednesday, um, so how did, did she, did she nap? How does she nap during the day? How do we get her down? And I'm like, oh. why? And she's like, oh, she kicked up quite a fuss. And today when we were both like flat out trying to submit a couple of treatments for a job, we were trying to get her down and she just would not go down like full cliched baby tantrum. And so we ended up, I, I did a cheat code. I put her in the back of the car and drove around the block and knocked her out <laughs> and brought her back into the house. But all that sleep training we did, it's all out the window, I think, because we there was too much of a break in between. Like we're moving house and that kind of stuff and she got out of her routine and now she's evolved to toddler brain and now it's all gone. And so it's like, oh God, we have to start again. We have to retrain her how to sleep. No. Oh, man. That is fraught with danger. But look, honestly, kid in the back of the car, take him around the block. That's totally fine, man. You're not like you're not doing it every day. Every now and again, you've got to you know type in up, up, down, down, red button, red yeah. button. Well, as every experienced <laughs> parent tells me, whatever gets you through, that's yeah. the that's the ticket. Like I know there's a lot of hard and fast rules about don't let them sleep in your bed, don't do this, no bottles but bedtime. Man, like if you have had no sleep for a week, trust me, like you won't care about the rules. Yeah, because you've been flat stick. Gemma was away and then you had yep. heaps of family who went, oh, you live near Byron Bay, how don't we come for Easter? Uh, and your place was full stick. The, here's a good thing about floods, <laughs> floods and COVID <laughs> outbreaks. <laughs> All of a sudden, the family weren't so keen to come visit. So uh, that has been a, a blessing in disguise. If my brother and his boyfriend and their two dogs had been staying this week, potentially could have been like a relationship-ending uh, event in my family because there's been so much stress in this house. With we're talking off air about like the Australia's shitful NBN and trying to you know run a podcasting business and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like if I had family here as well and a baby that's not sleeping, I don't know that I would have made it. But every now and again, did you just go out in the front yard in your rain jacket and put your hands <laughs> on your hips and just look at your sump pump working and going, I did that. <laughs> I know. I feel a lot of satisfaction. But I also look out at my lawn getting destroyed and flooded and the ivy growing over everything and strangling every plant in sight and going, I'm living in a jungle. I've moved yeah. to a jungle. How am I going to tame this? Straight to Bunnings. Straight to Bunnings. Get yourself a wireless reciprocating saw and have fun, mate. <laughs> That's the key, the cordless recip saw. Don't get a chainsaw or you'll take your face off. <laughs> reciprocating so when i went to go to, to bunnings uh, you know when we first got this house and i said to the guy i need a chainsaw i need a chainsaw he took one look at me and like you know get yeah. a reciprocating saw you can go through a, like a good you can go <laughs> through a 30 centimeter tree trunk with a reciprocating saw it takes a few chops but it's a lot safer especially if you haven't got that much experience yeah. uh, he could look at me and i'm like yeah all right all right so tell me that one <laughs> I'm just wondering if maybe I can just like dig everything up and just concrete it. Just go old school Italian dad, just concrete everything. Just put a nice fountain in the front. Don't have to worry about mowing the lawn or pulling up weeds for the rest of my life. Well, it, it does have what they call thermal mass, Charlie, uh, and that on the hot days, it will your house and the area around your house will stay hot. 
<laughs> until sometime in the morning because of that. Uh, so the green and the shade doesn't does is helpful, but there's there's ways around all of these things. Today on the show, we want to talk about in season three, we've been talking all about the first like kind of six months or so of baby's life. And this was a really important thing for me because when Wolf is a month older than your daughter, Iona, and by the time Wolfie was about three or four months old, you started talking to me about all kinds of games you were playing with your kid. And I was, I was like, oh, I, I haven't been doing any of that. But, <laughs> but once you get beyond, you know, okay, we've got them through two straight hours of them having eaten enough, having got a clean nappy and fallen asleep. <sighs> once you've done a couple of weeks of that, they do start to, I guess, come online a little bit more. Yeah. After a couple of months. And that's when, you know, there's a few kind of milestones, I guess you could say, that, they start to hit as their development increases. And there are things that you can do as a parent to help that, right? Yeah, that's right. So you're seeing more acknowledgement from the child. Like the first three to four months is pretty much you are there to feed and clothe and help get to sleep. But after that, they start to interact. You might get a smile going. You might get more interaction. There's nothing greater, Osh. You know, I've done some comedy. I've been on stage and done some comedy. I tell you, there's been no greater reaction from an audience I've ever had in my life than getting my daughter to laugh for the very first time. I have photographic evidence of it. I can't exactly remember what it was. I think it was a fart noise. I didn't go high. <laughs> I went real low brow to begin with. But when your baby smiles and even laughs for the first time, it's excellent. And that yeah. is probably a good indicator of when you can start playing these games, which are to develop things like cognitive function and their ability to read expressions and signals and things like that. One of the things that I did struggle with was I'm a competitive person generally, and <laughs> I I did get caught up a little bit in mm. why isn't Wolfie doing the things that and it's, to be honest, it was your daughter. Why isn't Wolfie doing the things that Iona's doing? You know, yeah, right. and I get as well, some parents, particularly some dads, I've spoken to them, that they struggled a bit with the baby not recognising or interacting at all for the first few weeks as their yep. brains were forming. But they, it takes a little while and it can be hard at first because you're not getting any. Here's this human being that you've never loved anything more in your life, but they can't give you anything back. And it's a bit weird at first. And that's okay, but slowly, 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 they kind of come online a little bit more. They start to respond to sounds that you're making. They start to track faces. Their mm. eyeballs start to track faces. They can't move their necks too much, but they start to – and they recognise voices. They recognise mum's voice, dad's voice, brothers or sisters' voices, and they recognise their own name. These things start to happen very, very, very slowly, and they start to become curious a bit about, about what's going on around them. But, look, these things happen, they can happen very quickly. If you're a child, they can take a little time. But, you know, nothing's really normal. But if I guess by by about the first kind of 12 or 16 weeks, if they're not responding to noises or not tracking objects with their eyes, you may want to go and just follow that up. If they mm. aren't showing curiosity in things that are around them, go follow that up. Holding their head up is a, is a big one, and, and that's also for sleep, holding their head up and developing those neck muscles. And that's kind of where the title of this episode comes from. That's kind of tummy time, which is a really important one, isn't it, Charlie? Yeah, it certainly is. So it happens around about week 13. And the idea behind tummy time is you want your baby to build up its neck and shoulder muscles so that it can uh, look around, it can sit upright because you're going to be wanting to sit up to feed it and all that kind of stuff. No barbell shrugs? We can't just do like traps, just trap day? I just shrugs, tried it. Shrugs, I tried shrugs. it. First visit to the hospital, there was a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> Should I just yeah, go like- with the barbell? I only put 40 kilos on it. <laughs> 
so what tummy time is, is basically, it's actually, it can be a lot of fun. Like you're talking about interacting with your child. So tummy time is you uh, normally have like a mat or some sort of play mat laid out with your child and it's doing basically push-ups. So if you know your yoga, it's very similar to the cobra where you sort of push yourself up on your forearms and push yourself up your neck and your shoulders up high. So what they're doing is they're developing muscles in their shoulders, their arms, their upper back and their neck. And that makes it possible for them to lift their heads later on. That sets the stage also for their motor skills, things like reaching, rolling over and sitting up and it prevents flat spots from forming in the bub's head. So I've been waiting for this episode for three seasons, Osh, because I uh, I invented a, a song for Tummy Time that yes. I used to sing to Iona. So I probably think now it's, it's time to debut it. Like, Andy, if you want to throw a beat behind this, maybe play it after the show or something like that, it goes like this. Tummy Time is cool. Tummy Time is fun. A little bit of Tummy Time never hurt anyone. <laughs> and we just go around and around? <laughs> we just go around and around. It's just the, That's the just best. The tummy Time is cool. Tummy time is fun. A little bit of tummy time. Never hurt anyone. You don't have to do a lot of tummy time to begin with. Like a couple of minutes is fine at the start. What you're really wanting to do is just sort of encourage that baby to lift its head up. Like Osh is saying, you're not going straight to the gym and and doing trap lifts or anything like that. You're just getting the baby to lift its head up. It's also a really key and important developmental point for them when it comes to safe sleeping because at this point, they're probably still, um, they're not rolling over yet. They're still probably strapped in to the bed in whatever way you're doing it with a, a shawl or something, which we, we had used or, or one of the fancy things that we had a snoo, which was really good. But as they start to roll over, them lifting their head up is really important to give them the muscular power to lift their head up so they can breathe as they roll over is a really, really important thing. And, and Charlie's right. We would just basically put Wolfie on his tummy on his little play mat. He had this little play mat, which had like these two, like the St. Louis arch, like across it. And he would just kind of bat at these things that were hanging down above his head. And every now and again, we'd just roll him over his, on his tummy and then he would just practice getting his chin off the ground. It wouldn't take long, like two or three minutes, and then he would just completely crack the shits. And then we'd roll him, we'd show him how to roll himself over. And then it didn't take long, man. It only took a couple of, only took a couple of days or probably not more than two weeks when he started to master rolling one way and then... It took a lot longer for him to roll the other, but you only you can you know only really roll one way. But moments like that, we did have to encourage him to get down on the ground, to put him on his tummy, and show him how to roll himself back over onto his back, and slowly just it's like anything, just takes practice and it takes time, it takes dedicated time. Yeah, and it's also one of those things that uh, you see where instinct kicks in because it is something that babies will do instinctively. Like it's not something that you have to force and you can start, you know, very early on and you want to sort of try and aim to get to about 15 minutes total in a day. So you're not doing 15 minutes one burst, but maybe like a couple of minutes after nap time or after you've changed their nappy or, or, or something like that. And you can start with just a few minutes. And if they're not really into it, you can try using like a small cushion mm. or a rolled up wrap, just put it under their chest and just help them get their face off the floor. You'd call that the, uh, uh, the beginner's position, the intermediate position, and then the expert is when you can take the towel away yeah i think we used that at first we gave him just a like a little rolled up uh just a tiny little pillow or one of his little toys that was big enough to put his chest on just so he got the feeling of his 
his mm. hands being able to go under his shoulders and pushing against the ground. But yeah. he was pretty little, and it still blows my mind that he could do it. Yeah. But it's all really – and it's those big gross motor skills. You know, it's rolling over. It's not like fine stuff like little fingers putting, you know, puzzle pieces together. It's the gross motor skills of moving your hands around and touching your face or batting things away from your face. And th- these things are all reflexive but v- really important when it comes to keeping baby safe. Yeah, and it's also – like it's not just the physical development. It's also the mental development. Like I was saying, there's a reflexive thing, but it's also – their ability to recognize that this movement causes this to extend, you know, or this movement causes my head to turn this way. Mm -hmm. So you're actually seeing cognitive development happen at the same time. I know with Iona, it was actually, that was, um, you know, our real bonding time. Like mum has the sort of breastfeeding time. That's the very physical, intimate time. But tummy time was when dad came into the picture. And, you know, we often have people write into us and and ask about like how to keep fit after you've had a baby when you've got no sleep and, you know, your hours at the gym are reduced and all that kind of stuff. Well, here is a perfect opportunity for you to get physical with your baby. While you're teaching tummy time, you can be on the ground as well doing sit-ups, push-ups. That's what I used to do is find myself like, okay, there's five minutes here that I'm with my daughter. So I'm going to help her learn how to straighten up. And I'm also going to do some exercise myself. And it can be like a fun little bonding experience to the point now I own her at 18 months. When she sees me get into push-up position, she also will now get into push-up position. I'm going to have the world's strongest baby, Asha. <laughs> What's wild about what you're describing, though, is that babies instinctively, they copy what they see. So mm. by showing them what to do, they may not to be able to copy you straight away. They may not have the skills to do it straight away, but they can see and they, they will learn by mimicking, which is terrifying. Uh, when they start to pick up the weird neuroses that you've brought all the way through into adulthood from your past trauma, but also brilliant because they just copy <laughs> they copy stuff. Uh, but yeah, I would watch, Charlie would send me videos of him, you know, working out with Iona and seeing how dexterous Iona was, knowing that she was younger than Wolfie. And I, I would struggle with like, why is your daughter more awesome at this than my son? <laughs> and it took me a little bit to just go, because he's a different child and they mm. have different stages and they have different speeds of development and it's fine. But, you know, I've I've run into parents, and we all have, who are hyper-competitive and get really worried when their kids aren't hitting those KPIs, you know, when the, KPIs. the, the, the spreadsheet's not getting filled out in time, you know, yeah. <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. But it takes a while. Like, even now, you know, I see we're down the park and Wolf's just turned a year and a half and there's kids around his age, usually little girls, and they've got so many more words. So many more words than wolf, but that's okay, you know, because they've got a different situation at home. They might have different, you know, caring situation. They might have someone who's able to talk to the baby all day. I don't know, but it took me a little bit. I struggled a bit, to be honest, Charlie, of um, yeah. like my baby is not as fast and awesome as everybody else's baby. He's I think that's, awesome. I think that's natural. I mean, I'm having- In his own time. I have the same thing with Iona. Like Iona is taking her sweet time learning how to walk, like- when she goes to daycare in her toddler room, everyone walks very, well, not very well, but you know, they're all walking and she's still very much, she'll take five steps and fall on her bum. And the one thing I'd say, I know we're sort of leaping ahead from the first six months, but being around other kids is a great way for your child to learn those skills that you want them to have. Because I've noticed in the two weeks, three weeks that she's been going to daycare that she's come home with a new determination about walking, like she's practicing all the time. And that has to be because she's seeing other kids around her doing it. Yeah. Not like you with tiny heads and big bodies, but little bodies and huge heads. Like their (laughs) centre of gravity is completely different to yours and mine. Yeah. 
It's also like, you know, Lord of the Flies, right? Like if you're fighting over the toy box, you've got to make sure you get to your feet pretty bloody quick. Otherwise, you're not getting a giant Lego. We're not just talking about developing motor skills and, and tummy time and the, those neck muscles, which are really important in the early, early months. We're also today talking about other things that can help your child's cognition and help their development. And a massive one there is language. Talking with babies, it doesn't just build their vocabulary. It nurtures the, the development of their, not only their cognitive skills, but also their social and emotional skills, not only now, but in, in the future. And I know from uh, the little school that Wolfie goes to, the Montessori school, they told us this really interesting thing that the words you speak to your baby will show up, they'll speak them a year later. So you just got to narrate everything. Basically, you just narrate everything and nouns, 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 nouns. It's not give me this or no. Oh, look at this. It's here is the head. I'm just going around the studio now. Here's the headphones. Here's the water bottle. Here's the iPad. Here's the chair. Here's the wall. Nouns, nouns, nouns. Naming, 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 naming. And um, it's not baby talk, but you do need to be deliberate when you speak and make sure they have a clear view of your your mouth and your teeth and your tongue. And it's wild watching Wolfie watch me speak because he instinctively watches my mouth. He watches my mouth to see how I'm making the sounds because he wants to copy what I'm doing. Baby will respond to you. Obviously, they don't have language just yet, but it's important to, as they Google, Google, gaga, gaga back at you, it's important to respond with words. It's mm. important to have them understand that it's a back and forth. I personally love to treat it as a bit of a, dare I say, an improv theatre game. And, <laughs> oh, really? Tell me more. Wow, the deal went horribly. And what happened when Stavros went off with the cash? You got away in the, <laughs> you know, the WRX? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, I admit these huge stories. And he just loved it. He loved yeah. it. Me telling stories of crime lords in my brain. And Audrey's like, what are you doing? Telling him it's hey, Sorry, honey. But yeah, really important. And when you are talking with your baby, pausing and allowing them to understand the rhythm of conversation, allowing uh. them to understand that it is a dance, that it is a back and forth, there is a, there's a communication, that there is a, a response. And just narrate everything, uh, everything. Like not just getting them dressed, but I'm putting your warm socks on. It's cold today, so the warm socks help keep your feet warm. You like it when I put on your warm socks because you did last time, so I'm putting them on again. Here's a T-shirt that I know you really like because you picked it out, you know, and just narrating everything, just giving them language, giving them language, giving them language, understanding that those words won't come back for a year, but every noun you give them, every descriptor you give them is an absolute gift and it just goes into their brain and fires those neural pathways out. Yeah, in the same vein too, what you don't want to do is to mimic them back to them or make fun of them or make them self-conscious because you think that maybe what you're doing is cute and funny, but from the baby's perspective, what you're saying to them is this is not the way you should do it. You shouldn't be trying to communicate. And it is sort of tempting when your baby gurgles or or says something, you know, nonsensical to repeat it back to them. But you don't want to do that. You want to, like Osh is saying, encourage them to uh, feel like that they can converse. It's all about training. And uh, what we like to do with Iona, for instance, is when she wakes up first thing in the morning and she's all babbling and gooing and garring and stuff, is we like to ask her about her dreams. And she will say something to us and we'll interpret what she's saying as, oh, that's amazing. So you rode a unicorn of a, a rainbow mountain. And what else did you see? And what else? And you just encourage her to practice and keep going. Similarly, and this takes a little moment to get your head around, try your best not to test them. 
because they'll always get it wrong. For example, show me the red block. No, that's the blue block. Like, show me the, no, like it's, show me the red block. Oh, you've brought the blue block. Can you show me the red block? Oh, that's the blue block again. Very good. Where's the red block? Like, it's the same message, but Mm. you're trying not to put the negativity in it there. Another thing about language, which we're discovering just now, when it comes to getting Wolf to do hopefully what we want, say, for example, if he's climbing on, he's now able to climb all over the place. If he's climbing up on the couch and heading towards a window, if we say don't climb on the couch, all he hears is everything (laughs) after don't. All right? So rather, and this also takes a bit to get my head around, feet on the floor, Wolfie, Keep your feet on the floor, Wolfie. Are your feet on the floor? Can you put your feet on the floor for me, please? And that you're telling him what you want him to do. So rather than saying, don't do this thing, all he will hear is this thing. As negative as that is, he'll just get reinforced that negative behavior. So at the moment, he's he's fascinated with putting his cup in the dog water and trying to drink it. (laughs) That water's for the dogs, Wolfie. If you'd like some water, I can get you some. Versus don't drink the dog water. All he hears is drink the dog water. (laughs) I 100% understand the theory behind this, but I think it's challenging for a parent to know to not go to the negative straight away. I had a couple of friends who, um, with their first child, they were very much dedicated to that philosophy of we're never going to say no. Nothing's a negative response. Like uh-huh. if they're banging on the table, we're going to say, we're not going to say don't do that. We're going to say, oh, you want to bang on something? Here's your toy drum, you know, and that, that was their philosophy. <laughs> Cut to three years later and they're like, God damn it, if this kid like, <laughs> do not climb the couch, get off the couch. So I think, look, I understand. And if you can do it, fantastic. But I also would give yourself a break. Like sometimes you just need to stop the kid from leaping out a window. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. <laughs> Something else that we should talk about is the wonder weeks or the mental leaps, which are different from growth spurts. Like we've talked on this show before about you picking up your child after overnight or after a nap and somehow they feel like their legs are longer or or they've grown more. But there's also mental development that happens, a developmental leap that can happen in in a short space of time. And so that's usually linked to behavior that you might see externally, like uh, when they're cranky or clingy or crying. You know, if you're having trouble putting your child down and it doesn't and it's not teething and they're they're well fed and their nappy's dry, you can probably put it down to a wonder week or a mental leap. And it tends to happen around the same time for most children. So it happens at five weeks, at eight weeks, at 12 weeks, at 17 weeks, 26, 36, 44, and 53 weeks. There are a bunch of different apps you can download for your phone, which will tell you when your child is coming into a developmental leap. And it's very handy to know that because sometimes you can feel like, are we the worst parents in the world? You know, what's going on? I mean, potentially I should check. Maybe Ian is going through developmental leap right now because she's having a really cranky spell when it comes to napping. Each stage of the development represents a change in the baby's perception of the world. And they're only capable of developing particular skills after their brain has matured sufficiently. So as they grow and their brain changes, they're becoming more clever. So If you think about it, they're taking more in, they're being more stimulated. So it makes sense that in response, they're getting like freaked out. It makes me think of that scene in Man of Steel as baby Superman, his his powers are developing, his x-ray vision and his super hearing. And for him, it's overwhelming. It's sensory overload. That's kind of what's going on for your baby. And I get it. When Wolfie was going through this stuff, of course he couldn't sleep because he's gone from literally like, I'm in a blanket to, oh my God, this blanket's rough. 
Oh, wow, it's on my skin. I can feel it here and on my legs. You know, it's suddenly the it's so different. He's gone from 16 colours to 32 colours to look mm. at that fucking purple. You know, everything is so intense all of a sudden as these explosions happen in his brain. He's, you know, Bradley Cooper in Limitless. He's just <laughs> getting superpowers overnight. Yeah, and it's also one of those things where for some babies it manifests as clinginess, like it's a sense of um, sudden apprehension or fear of strangers. Stranger danger happens in, around this time as well, which is kind of good to know because, again, you know, with jealousy has been a theme of this episode or a feeling of insecurity. And I know with Iona that's been happening a lot in the past three or four months is that I can't go near her. Like she's, it's all about mum. You know, when she's forced to be with me, she will be with me, but she has a choice. It's all about mum. But that is, again, part of her developmental leap. That's part of her finding her identity. So essentially what you're saying is at these weeks that you're talking about, these wonder weeks, these mm. like if we just treat our kids like they've just had a gigantic line of something <laughs> that makes their brains explode... <laughs> Yeah, limitless. And they're like they're a good friend at a party who's just having a very, very hard time just trying to be with her, you know. <laughs> I'm just trying not to freak out, man. I'm just trying to freak yeah. out. We've had that experience. Some of us have been that person. Is that the kind of way we're approaching it? Just like this is a kid whose brain is going 20% faster than it was yesterday. 100%. Like it's just a completely new stimulation and it just can be a scary situation as well. And it's also this thing too of removing your ego from the situation because they are not rebelling against you. They're not testing you. It's not a test of your authority or some kind of like evidence that they don't respect you. Like that is not entering into their equation. Like Osh is saying, it is this rush of sensory input that they don't know. Yesterday, it was just a, a pile of shapes. Now it is a, a pile of like colored bricks and they're trying to take all that in. So it's the constant challenge of being a parent, I think, is to remove ego from the situation and understand that they are not personally challenging you. They are going through their own personal changes. And so I find that, look, if I'm honest, that I haven't always succeeded in divorcing my ego from it. I do get very kind of like upset or kind of like annoyed or frustrated with what's going on, but there's always a chance to rectify that the next day. I mean, that's the other beauty of this. Like you, you've got constant practice, you know, if I was going to use a footy coach analogy, it's always like, well, you know, we'll just take it one week at a time, just take it one night at a time. So you had a bad time, you know, with meal times this day or, or, or nap times or whatever, then why not implement some change? Why not do some reading? There's heaps of great literature out there. There's some great podcasts. Osh, I'm not sure if you know, there's this one called dad bod. Amazing. It's seeking to redress the uh, attitude towards fatherhood in Australia, but there is, there are heaps of great resources out there. Like today, you know, Gemma and I, after this nap fiasco, were straight on to, to Google and just looking up articles and, you know, she was texting a couple of female friends and that is your lot now. Whether Look, if you've got this far into being a parent and you didn't realise this is going to be like a 20, 25-year commitment <laughs> to, to raising a human being, then you're in the wrong game. But, you know, it's just something that you can just the sun will go down and come up the next day. You just reset yourself and try and do better next time. Your self-awareness there, Charlie, is uh, what you just described was my first year and a half or two years of life with Georgia, who was 10 at the time. And I remember sitting on the edge of the bed with my head in my hands <laughs> and just going, I don't understand. I am so confronted by a 10-year-old not liking me. <laughs> Yeah, right. I just had to be with the fact that it was my fucking ego, my yep. ego that demanded everybody be nice to me and like me. And this kid's like, who are you? 
and what are you doing now moving in with me and mum? Which is totally fair and stepdaughters and stepsons have had that feeling for, and it's totally rational and real and no problem and it's, it's where mm. our relationship is fantastic now. But I remember at the time absolutely feeling that and Charlie, you were 100% right and in many ways maybe there's two children that you're raising here or two children that you're trying to soothe. You're trying to soothe the actual child and you're also trying to deal with the inner child. You're trying to deal with the child of yourself who is upset that it's not getting what it wants and getting its needs met and you're getting an opportunity as an adult to reprocess those things and work through those things that are making the noises and getting upset and disrupting your adult life. <laughs> is, that, is that too much of a stretch? No, I think that's 100% correctly. I mean, it's weird. It's almost, it's two things. It's yes, it's definitely the kind of whatever you felt you were lacking as a child, your inner child was not given, but it's also seeing your parents in yourself. Oh, yeah. Like I am amazed. Like my memory of my father was of a very anxious man. You know, this was before therapy and counseling and new age uh, books and all this kind of stuff and dad pods and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, so my memory of my father was, he just always seemed tense and anxious and everything was a burden. Like he wasn't, he didn't seem happy, you know? And so I sort of see myself, and that was a conversation that Gemma and I sort of had to have before Iona was born, was she's like, you can't get hung up on small things. Because I'm the kind of guy who, for instance, when my NBN isn't working, it drives me fucking mental. And I get obsessed with fixing that problem and I get frustrated and I have a hard time just letting it go. Like I let it eat away at me. And Jem's like, you need to get better at prioritizing what is actually an issue and what is not an issue because you're going to have a little a little supercomputer in the house soon who's going to be absorbing everything you do. And your frustration and inability to deal with like negative feelings is going to wash over her. So, you know, that is what's going on. You know, I get frustrated and then I get frustrated that I'm getting frustrated. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm turning into my father. How did this happen? <laughs> well, I tell you what you can do about that, Charlie. And this does kind of tie in nicely to the, the language and the speaking stuff. Read, read books to your kid. Mm. It's just the greatest. Reading books to babies is amazing. I get frustrated when the rhyming schemes don't work. And yeah. they've just gone one too many syllables before they yep. get to the ABAB rhyming scheme. That does shit me. But then I'm like, I'm cuddling a baby. And the baby is really interested in this story about a bear or whatever. Being acceptance that every book ends with whoever it is going to sleep. Um, <laughs> because that's what happens at the end of every of these books. But yeah, reading. Reading is huge. And just be in acceptance as well that babies love the stuff to happen again and again and again. And from as early as he could communicate it, Wolfie would say or signal to us, the sign language or, or verbally, just say again, and I'd come down to, with a stack of books to read to him, three or four books to read. He'd just want yep. the same book six times. Yeah. Loves it. Loves yeah. it. And that's a great way to give the baby language. Yeah. Iona actually sometimes doesn't even want to hear the story. She wants you to go through the page and describe what she's looking at. Her favorite thing to do at the moment is to point out colors. Mm -hmm. So she'll literally just move her finger around the page and point to different shades. And the problem is I'm a little colorblind. <laughs> so often when it gets into the kind of violets, purples, and pinks, I'm like, I think that, I don't want to mislead you, kid, but I think that's pink. It might be purple. I'm not 100% <laughs> sure. Mom. Okay, it's coral. I was way off. <laughs> <laughs> but I find that with the, the reading thing, it's a great way to rediscover the books that I loved as a kid. Mm -hmm. Because if they're well written, like they they endure and they stand the test of time. So I've been loving getting back into each peach, pear, plum, <gasps> and, you know, and a, a whole bunch of like a Go Dog Go, all these great kids books. And you're right, like that to me is 
that's the best time with Iona is because it's post-meal, it's post-meal, post-bath, pre-going to sleep. Mm. And so it's a kind of a quiet time and she's in her pajamas and we're sitting on the bed together and, you know, she can pick out the book she, that she wants. And that's the stuff you got to soak in. And I remember talking to a friend about insomnia once where he was saying like, rather than getting upset about insomnia and fighting the fact that he can't sleep, he just likes to think about the fact, how nice is it that I can lie in bed, that I'm just lying in bed? And that is the way he would mentally overcome the insomnia. I find it kind of similar with Iona, with, you know, sitting with her in bed, or if she doesn't want me to read to her, she just wants me to sit with her and go through this book, turn the pages for her sometimes is all she wants. Then rather than get sort of frustrated or I could be doing better things with my time, what am I even doing here? It's like, no, no, just be in this moment. Isn't it nice that amongst all the craziness of my life that I can just have this moment where I sit with my daughter and just turn the pages of a book and that's all that's required of me. It's so great. And like all beautiful things of childhood, what makes it precious is that one day it will end. I have firsthand experience of this. We used to lie in bed every night and read stories with Georgia. We would each take a turn at reading a page. And then one night, me and Audrey came in to read a story to her and she said, oh, I don't feel like a story tonight. And that was it. We never lay in bed and read to her again. And I didn't know Ugh. the night before that when we closed the book and gave her a hug and said goodnight, that that would be the last time I ever read a story to her. I didn't know that's what it would be, but it was. And then it was the gone. cat's in the cradle <laughs> and the silver spoon, the little boy blue and the man on but the But it's moon. true. It's true. Just one day, <laughs> they won't want it anymore. And yeah. it makes it all the more precious. If they just want to sit there and read the same book seven times and just want to look at the pictures, then dig it. Because it's a finite amount of time, so that'll happen. Um, and it's a beautiful thing. And it's a beautiful thing. If you want to send us an email, it's real simple. Askdadpod at gmail.com. Sean G has written, big fan of the pod. I've binge listened to every episode in about two weeks and I have Aww. the happiest baby on the block on its way due to your recommendations. Uh, Save Aww. Our Sleep will shortly follow, I reckon. So they're two books that we've talked about <laughs> on the show. I was wondering if you may be getting a guest on this season that has twins. My partner and I are expecting twins. It would be nice to hear from any of your friends' family on how they dealt with not one but two little ones. Um, thanks, lads. P.S. Go to bed. Nice. Hey. That's your phrase. Um, twins. Look, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have any friends who have twins. All I know is anytime I see a parent pushing twins, I'm like, my God, what fresh hell is this? What must your <laughs> life be like? I mean, Gemma, sort of part of her wanted to have twins because, you know, she wanted to have one of more than one kid. She's like, let's just get it all over done at once. We just go through the whole thing at once. But um, yeah, I'd be interested. You know, maybe that's a, a future season of Dad Pod as we get someone on who's had twins and just take us through that experience. Josh Zepps, who was on the show the other week, has twins, but we were too busy mining his his incredibly wise brain about vaccinations. Uh, so maybe we could talk to Josh again. But I do know that there are twins in my uh, close uh, family. And all I can tell you, Sean, is that the sleeping situation is extra tough. Yeah. If one of them's having a hard time, both of them are having a hard time. And it can be really, really tough. I mean, there's all kinds of hints and tricks, you know, don't bother making two bowls use the same spoon, you know, you're just yeah. getting the same spoon into each mouth as you go, as you're feeding. It's double everything. It's a big deal. There is a lot of support out there. I know the Multiple Birth Association is very helpful to the person in my family. But, yeah, 
mate, my hat's off to you, Sean. That's going to be amazing. It's going to be intense. It's going to be way more intense than what Charlie and I went through, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, we'll definitely try and find someone who's uh, keen to come on and have a chat about twins for sure. We'll definitely do that. I mean, I'm sure it's probably double the effort, double the reward, though. There is a there is a viral video I remember seeing a few years ago where parents of twins, who I think were toddlers at the time, they uh, set up a hidden camera in the toddler's bedroom and it was like time-lapse. So it was like the course of like 12 hours and the activities these twins got up to over the course of one night and it was incredible how active these kids were. Like at high speed, you see them get up, they build a couch fort, the parents come in, put them down, they get back up, they play a game of hide and seek, the parents come back in, put them back down. One of them gets up and starts down the other one, the parents come in, put it back down. The parents come back in, they read a book, the kids are up again, now they're hungry again. It was just nonstop. I'm not saying your kids are going to be like that, but just maybe check out this video for a glimpse into the future. <laughs> Each week we do like to induct someone into the Dad Pod Hall of Fame. Charlie Clawson has been bringing the gold this season, the absolute gold. Yeah, and we're talking father figures, not biological parents in, in this instance. And uh, we've been, I've gone a different path here. I'm not even sure it's a father figure, but maybe it's more like a patriarch or something. I'll give you a hint, Osh. It's time to play the music. It's time to light the lights. Kermit the Frog? Kermit the Frog. It's been bugging me for weeks about like who is like a father figure, but someone who's not just like uh, a foster father, but someone who like is the patriarch of a of a ragtag bunch of misfits. And I can't think of a better example than Kermit the Frog because think about it. He has to deal with every kind of personality. He has to get the show up and running every night. He's got like ego to deal with. He's got rats that never turn up on time. He's got a girlfriend who's all always on his bloody case, Kermit the Frog is one of the greatest father figures ever to grace the small screen. The way he deals with Fozzie Bear's terror... We're talking about a show called The Muppet Show, which aired in the late 70s and early 80s. Yes, the same Muppets that were on Sesame Street. Kermit was a great crossover from both uh, both shows. <laughs> but what Charlie's talking about is it was basically a, a variety show that these puppets would put on every night. And the different personalities that he had to deal with within 30 seconds of each other and the insecurities and the overwhelming ego, he was able to placate everyone and make sure the, sh the curtain came up and make sure the show went off without a hitch and then also make sure that Alice Cooper had a great show. I mean, it's the perfect metaphor for what being a father is. He's always putting himself second. He has to take care of everyone else. It's an example about no ego. If Kermit the Frog loses it at any point, during like the preparations for a show and Alice Cooper storms off or Sylvester Stallone or whoever is the guest star that day, then they don't have a show. Kermit has to deal with all these complex personalities. He doesn't take it personally. He just deals with each person. Some people need a bit of discipline. Some people need a bit of love. Kermit the Frog can tell you how to be a dad. <laughs> As Kermit would say, it's not easy being green. <laughs> Well, voting for the Greens because they never get in. <laughs> I don't know. A fair amount of green work got in WA this week. Two pro-marijuana uh, candidates got in uh, in the upper house. It's pretty interesting. Nobody voted for them, which is also interesting. <laughs> Our electoral system's fun here in Australia. Strange. That was a really good Dad Pod Hall of Fame. So let me tell you, Kermit the Frog, Dad Pod, salute you, sir. One episode to go in season three of Dad Pod. We'll be back again next week. Osh, I'm very excited to close off season three and potentially look forward to season four. If people like this show, they can rate and review, can't they? 
Absolutely. Rate, review, wherever you rate and review. But really, the best thing you can possibly do for us is just tell someone. Tell someone about the show. If there's someone in your life that's expecting, just let them know. There's somebody I work with, actually, on, on set, she is less than 10 days away from giving birth. And I'm like, you might dig this. You might dig this podcast because it... I like to think that what we've created here, Charlie, is a, a little more accessible and certainly more easily digestible than a lot of the books that get thrown at you. And so if there's a dad or mum to be in your life, just let them know about the show. Uh, if there's a grandma or grandpa to be in your life, let them know about the show because things have changed since the tablespoon of castor oil and off to bed was the best solution for just about everything. <laughs> yeah, back when medicine contained heroin, just 10% heroin. <laughs> it did, it fucking did. <laughs> Medical grade. Medical yeah. grade. It's, it's all right. It's pure. Yeah, it's been a long time since it was kind of okay to give your kids antihistamine in a drinky down cup before you headed off on a road trip. So it would knock them out and you'd be able to get the first three hours of driving underway without any are we there yet. So we can't, we can't do that anymore. So maybe yeah. let the grandmas and grandpas of the world uh, listen to this podcast as well. Yeah. Until then, uh, we'll see you next week. And Osh, what's your catchphrase? This is the, the, the only catchphrase and it's applicable to Wayona today. Go to bed. Did you, did you call her Wayona? Wayona Ryder? <laughs> tummy time is cool. Tummy time is fun. A little bit of tummy time. Never hurt anyone. Tummy time is cool. Tummy time is fun. A little bit of tummy time. Never hurt anyone. <laughs> <laughs>